right, welcome back, everybody. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs over, over Coffee. So today we have with us uh, Dr. Platt, who is a uh, professor of obstetrics and gynecology and maternal fetal medicine at UCLA. And he is also the director uh, of the Center for Fetal Health and Women's Ultrasound. Uh, welcome, Dr. Platt. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Dr. Platt, so we're here in Las Vegas at SMFM's annual meeting. Um, one thing we've been asking a lot of our guests is what exactly are you most excited for for this year's meeting? Well, there's a lot of things to be excited for. It's, I guess the simplest way is the future. We have a bright future ahead. I've been uh, around uh, maternal fetal medicine for a long time, actually almost since its beginning. And to watch the uh, uh, the future in front of my eyes, uh, the young people, those who uh, are presenting outstanding papers today, uh, and those who are sitting on committees and really, really setting the path for the future. Um, sure, there's a lot of nice studies I can talk about, but when you put it all together, it's about we know that that our subspecialty is is very bright, and there's a lot of people that are going to contribute to take it to higher higher stages than we were able to do, and, and uh, the improvement of the and quality of care will change dramatically uh, with our hope that it's going to reduce the maternal mortality and morbidity, improve uh, fetal and neonatal outcomes, and uh, uh, really get to where we'd like to be or where we should be. Uh, clearly, the United States needs to change uh, its uh, maternal mortality and perinatal mortality rates, uh, and I think with the individuals who are really coming up, the trainees, uh, those who are in practice in academic settings and general practices uh, uh, today, um, I have no doubt that they will change those um, statistics, improve them dramatically, and, and really uh, make those of us who serve in a teaching role quite proud uh, for the impact that they'll have in the future. Dr. Platt, for our listeners who are mainly medical students, residents, um, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you became interested in um, obstetrics and how you ultimately found MFM and what your interests currently are now? You know, thank you. Like like many people, when you're growing up, you always want to be something. I never wanted to be a fireman or a policeman. I never wanted to follow my father in the business world. Um, I emulated my pediatrician, and, and I really wanted to do the things that he was doing. You know, I wasn't worried about the shots that he was going to give me. I uh, wasn't worried about uh, any enduring pain from it, but really I watched his enthusiasm for, for caring for me and my siblings. Um, and so I always thought about pediatrics, and um, I always thought I wanted to go to medical school, and indeed I did. Um, and then when it came time to decide, was it going to be pediatrics, I always said that I wanted to do something a little different because I, I really wanted to do newborn medicine. And at the time when I was training, it was just the infancy of maternal fetal medicine. It wasn't even there yet, really. Um, and I said, I want to do something called theoneonatology. Uh, I always felt the neonatologist needed to know more about the fetus. And I was kind of interested in the fetus. And so I planned to go out during my time of interviews. I was going out for pediatrics, and I was only applying to pediatrics. I had done some research with a, an individual where I trained in Detroit Medical School. I went to Wayne State University, and I worked with a the late Dr. Alfred Sherman, who really is my major mentor in a sense of someone who's had such tremendous impact on the way I practice. And uh, I kind of liked obstetrics, but I still said I wanted to do pheoneonatology. I mean, people didn't know what that was. They probably didn't know what I was talking about. And so I went out in pediatrics, but I decided that I wanted to go meet an individual in Los Angeles uh, who had developed the fetal monitor. 
you know, trying to understand what's going on in the fetus. And that's Dr. Edward Hahn, the late Dr. Edward Hahn, who really was probably responsible for the, the major advances in fetal monitoring from the beginning to almost to where we are today. I don't think we've had that dramatic change since he first introduced it in the, in the 60s. So he was at L.A. County USC Medical Center. At the time, uh, they were doing 18,000 deliveries a year. Statistically, that's one in 200 babies born in the United States were born in L.A. County. And um, I had arranged, because I was interviewing in pediatrics at USC and at UCLA, but I had arranged for him to, have, uh, to meet with me, which I thought was fantastic. You know, I'm just a medical student. He was willing to meet with me. Well, I had a wonderful hour session with him. And he says, well, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'm going to do pediatrics, and I probably would like to do probably about a year of OB afterwards just to get a better understanding of the fetus. He says, you're thinking the wrong way. You need to think about doing it the other way. You better do obstetrics first and really understand it because we're really doing a lot in fetal medicine already. Uh, we're beginning to, to really delve into the fetus as a patient way back in the early 70s. And uh, so within five minutes, at, we're in this discussion, a half hour, 40 minutes. He says, just wait a minute. And he calls the chairman of the department, then Dr. Ted Quilligan. Hey, you need to interview this guy. And so before I knew it, I was interviewing for an OB residency. Uh, I had met everybody in their department, just well, not everybody, because they had a lot. But, um, and he was really encouraging me to think about OB. And I wasn't sure at that time. And so I had my pediatric interviews that week and went back and had a long talk with my former chairman, Dr. Sherman. And I interviewed other pediatric places. I didn't interview any other OB places. And he said to me, look, if you decide to do OB, stay here. And we'll tailor make your program, which you can't do anymore. Um, and we'll send you out to San Diego for three months to work with uh, um, the individuals who developed the LS ratio um, for that with uh, uh, Dr. Bernerski in, in pathology, who's really the dental pathologist. Um, and uh, boy, that's pretty good. Let me think about that. Make a long story short, I flipped the coin and I ended up doing OB and I actually stayed in Detroit. Then I went on to do a fellowship at USC. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, I was able to develop my interest in the fetus, my interest in, in ultrasound, uh, and, you know, following what you wanted to do. I think I'm one of the luckiest people around to think that I had a, a vision of something that really wasn't really practical at the time, but if you put your head to it, you can do it. And that's, you know, as, as an old-timer now, you, you kind of say, my, would I do something different than I did before? And I probably would not. And it's really, it's a blessing. And I'm very fortunate to do that. And I guess it's a message to, to any of the students and the residents is follow your passion. You follow your passion, you're going to get ahead. You can be the very best at what you are in the world if you follow that passion and diligent about doing it. So, you know, I give credit when I was in San Diego with Dr. Lou Gluck, who developed that ALS ratio. We don't do amnios anymore. We've moved far ahead of that already. But he really reduced perinatal mortality uh, significantly. I, I learned a little bit about placenta when I was there, but I learned a lot in my residency, my fellowship with Dr. Quilligan. Dr. Uh, Richard Paul, who was my fellowship director, my colleagues, and I had the great fortune to work with Dr. Frank Manning, where we actually developed the uh, fetal biophysical profile. It's hard to believe that some 40 years ago that we developed that test that uh, still used today. So it's a bit of luck, put it that way, but, it, but uh, enthusiasm really makes a very big difference. No, that's a really fascinating course, and I think very inspirational for our listeners, all of whom are trying to come up with their own ideas about what might change the field. I guess, Dr. Platt, you know, you have a lot to pick from, but what would you say would be like your most important contribution to obstetrics? Well, you know, it's really tough. I mean, if you ask what's the, 
most enduring. Obviously, our fetal biophysical profile is is really withstood the test of time, and I give a lot of credit to Frank Manning for his vision and our ability to work together and brainstorm over each other and do those things together. Uh, I can't imagine anything greater than that in a sense when you th- you think about contributions. But you know, I've been blessed to write a lot of papers, books. Um, my contribution in ultrasound and changing the face of ultrasound from something we called the radiologist to consult for us when we became the ones that did ultrasound. Um, I, I like to use the expression that when real-time ultrasound came around, we were able to uh, uh, begin to use ultrasound differently. And I like to use a little parable that it's like having ham and eggs in the morning for breakfast. Uh, before, before we uh, used to look at that and say, okay, we had ultrasound and we referred it. But that ham and eggs in the morning for breakfast, think about it. The, the chicken is involved in ultrasound. The pig is committed. And so we've become committed to ultrasound. And look at what's happened in the last 30, 40 years of ultrasound of what we use this modality for to change it. And so I've been very lucky to be on the cutting edge of, of ultrasound technology and publications and its use applications in OB and in GYN as well. Um, the role it plays in genetics and, and early markers of, of structural defects. I've been blessed to work with genetic companies in developing uh, the non-invasive prenatal testing, uh, looking at cutting edge. So, like, and I've been very blessed to be in some cutting edge things that I think has have changed what we did. So, sure, the biophysical profile, you know, that's a personal publication with Frank Manny and I that has withstood the test of time. Our ultrasound publications, our early NIPT, which clearly everyone recognizes has changed the way we look at prenatal diagnosis today. And, you know, I can just look at the future and see what whole exome sequencing is going to do and advances in, in genetics. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I, I just wish for you as students and, and residents and anyone listening that uh, you would be as blessed as, as I am, but follow your passion. Dr. Platt, with your career, I mean, it seems like you've probably gotten a lot of good advice um, and had a lot of good mentors. Do you have any advice for our listeners about going forward into, into this field? As you know, Dr. John Queen and I helped develop the Quilligan Scholar Program uh, of the uh, uh, Pregnancy Foundation, part of the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. We did it because mentoring is extremely important. Uh, you can't just take, you have to give. And if you're really a teacher, you're really a teacher 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and being available to, to your students, to your mentee. Um, so the best advice is seek someone that you can talk to, seek someone that you can communicate with, Seek someone that will listen, that will not control, that allow you to make the decisions that are be important for yourself, but there when you need them. I think it's extremely important to find those people because you heard me mention names because these were my mentors. These are the people that, that paved the way for me, make the decisions. They allowed me to do things. They thought, well, you're so busy, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you get it done, you can do it. If you don't get it done, you can't do it, and they'd be right. But I've been lucky to do that. So find someone that's going to help you, uh, find someone that's going to guide you. Don't find someone that's going to control you. You want someone that will allow you to do the things that you think are important for you because it's only you that can live with those things that will make the very difference. So being a mentor is incredibly gratifying to me. Um, you know, our legacy is not ourselves. It's through our students and what we can teach and what we can share with. And, and a final message is there will be bumps in the road. And I'd like to tell people that I've had my share. Um, but I don't use those bumps to fall down and lay flat and give up. You use the bumps to catapult higher. Use it as that bump that just to stand up and move forward, and you'll be much better, and you'll be 
be able to achieve the things that you wish to achieve. Dr. Platt, what keeps you grounded? What do you do outside of work to, to stay on the ground? Well, you know, that's an important part of it. Um, there are a lot of things that I do. Um, I'm pretty active in a lot of organizations, in a lot of community events, in a lot of charities. Um, I've started many foundations, the nonprofit foundations, to, to help others. Uh, the most important thing outside of work is the family. I can't neglect it. I'm blessed with a wonderful wife of many years. I'd get in trouble if I said how many on this this little session. Um, I have three great children. Um, I have seven grandchildren. Um, that is an important part of what I do. Uh, I'm very involved with my religious organization, a synagogue. I go to services every single day, uh, six in the morning. I'm there before work. I probably should do the exercise that my wife's already at the gym at five o'clock, but I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm there because that's part of the keeps me grounded. I do a lot of work with with the, the underserved that way. Um, I serve uh, in a capacity, actually, as strange as it may sound, to help prepare bodies for burial. Um, it sort of has a religious connotation to it, but it's, it's a respect you show, not just when you're alive, but when you're dead. Um, I've involved, as you've heard, with the uh, Quilgan Scholar Program, the societies that have been very active in, uh, the Quality Foundations. Um, I love sporting events. Uh, you know, you see me walking around here with my L.A. Rams hat. That may not be happy for a lot of you out there, but uh, um, that's okay. Uh, um, they didn't win, so don't worry. Uh, but baseball, hockey, love hockey. Um, you know, our kids played hockey. Our kids played baseball. I coached baseball. Um, uh, and I think those are the things that make important. I have such a variety of things that I do that I don't have time to think about downtime. Um, you know, go to bed late, get up early. You know, as obstetricians, we don't usually need so much sleep. Uh, and I've been very blessed to travel a lot. And so I see the world and uh, it takes a little break. But, you're, you know, people ask me, you're traveling again? You're going to another meeting? Um, you know what? I go to the meetings not for them, but for me. Uh, because every meeting I go to, I may give a lecture. But I'm, you know what? I'm listening to my friends and the other people lecture, and I'm learning from them. So I, th I think you stay grounded by realizing you don't know everything. You stay grounded by saying there's a lot we have to learn and there's a lot to achieve. Um, and we're, we're in a, a time when we see, uh, I don't know what the word retire means. I think it's a four-letter word, but it's more than four letters. So I think you have to think about the things that keep you going and, and keep that family there. That's the strongest thing you can. And uh, really, that makes a difference. Dr. Platt, uh, living in a city with so many sports teams, uh, most important question, Dodgers, Angels? versus Lakers, Clippers? Okay, so Dodgers is pretty easy. It, it, it's interesting. You know, I'm from Detroit, so I still have some affinity to the Detroit teams. But that I've been in Los Angeles longer than I was in Detroit, you can lose some of that. So um, I, I'm clearly uh, more of a Dodger fan than Anaheim. Why? Because they're closer to my house. Uh, so that's lesson number one. Uh, Clippers and, and Lakers, they're in, uh, uh, they're in the same place. So I can't use that excuse one over the other. Um, if you know that I'm probably maybe 5'9". I didn't do well at basketball. Uh, so I like going every now and then. So I enjoy both the Clippers and Lakers. Um, I, I'd rather a team that brings it up from the farm club rather than buy your, buy your quality people. I think it's always good to start trainees and watch them grow. Uh, I think we've lost that in sports personally. But uh, I, I think that uh, it's a little different when the department recruits people away from other people. But I think when you're just buying people, it's 
it's not the same. So I don't have a big challenge between the two. The Lakers certainly have the bigger draw in L.A., um, but I am a very strong L.A. King fan uh, and uh, go to as many games as I can uh, when I'm in town and uh, watch it uh, tremendously. I was about to ask Ducks, Red Wings, or Kings. Since <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. In, in Los Angeles, it's such a uh, transient-type um, city. When the Red Wings play the Kings, the, the arena, Staples Arena, is probably 80% red jerseys, and the Kings are either white or black. So you know there's a lot of Detroiters sitting in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. I guess after this point, I, I'm a Kings fan. Um, I know a few of the Kings players and their family. Uh, we won't address how that is, uh, but but I think very clearly you 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 know you're there. It's your town, and and it's something. Well, this year is not their year. It's been their year in the past. Uh, it's like everything else. Their cycles, and uh, um, they'll just have to try harder next year. Thank you so much, Dr. Platt, for coming on to this podcast with us. Um, I'm sure. I mean, I at least had a great time hearing from you, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will as well. Well, thank you very much. I congratulate both of you for doing the service. I think it's a a tremendous tremendous asset. As, uh, as residents, uh, to know how you can contribute to others. And uh, uh, I'm glad I could uh, be here with you today. All right. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Briogs Over Coffee. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or any of your other podcatchers. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online at www.creogsovercoffee.com or on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, or if you're a big fan of the show and you want to score some swag or get a shout-out on the show, find us on our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Or if you'd like to contribute a topic, let us know if we uh, made a mistake on our previous podcast, or you just want to come and say hi, you can email us at CreogsOverCoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.